Thanks for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. We're 22 in and I am so pleased to have been joined by Eddie Reader, the Scottish singer and songwriter. And we have a fantastic conversation. What Eddie knows for sure is actually the Optimist Creed, which I have never heard before. But Eddie makes us, reads it to us and makes us very aware about it. And we go on to chat about that and sort of all aspects of life, really, you know, about fear, about strength, about uncertainty, about bravery, about her going away to, to become a songwriter and also about the big steps it took to move home back to Scotland and all the learnings and all the confidence and everything that she had to do in that. It's also a very spiritual conversation about we are more than just our bodies, we are more than just our existence in this time, in this place. It was such a lovely conversation that I really did enjoy. As we refer to it in the show, Eddie has been on Ignite the Radio Show in the past too. That was a way back almost two years ago in March 2019. It was show number 46. So if after this you would like to go and look that up, just pop onto my Mixcloud, search Anne Hughes Ignite and scroll all the way back. You need to go back almost 100 shows to find that one. But let's enjoy this chat first. On today's What Do You Know For Sure, I'm delighted to be joined by Eddie Reader. Eddie, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. You're welcome. I know. I'm here still. Yeah. I keep being here. Uh-huh. I'm on <laughs> And we've met before because you've done my radio show as well, which was almost two years ago. Who could believe? Time goes yeah. too fast. But Eddie, tell us a wee bit about you. Me, I'm, um, people call it middle-aged, but I think that's optimistic. Uh, otherwise, I'd be about 120 when I pass. But um, I'm thinking that I'm getting to know this new person, this person that isn't the 20, 30-year-old or 28-year-old or 30-year-old that's that's wanting to tell the world about song and everything I, I mean I still like to tell people about song but I'm kind of interested more in a more a gentle approach and I like I like the 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 ideas that are coming into my mind at this age it's all about painting and maybe documenting writing mm-hmm. I want to mm-hmm. do a bit of that more painting clearing up the house getting rid of old mess Aye. you know throwing out the bank statements from 1987 finally <laughs> you know that stuff I know. And we're recording this at the end of January and it was just Burns Night last week and you were everywhere, Eddie. You were getting played all over the shop. It's very nice. Yeah, we were talking a while there ago about an idea you might have that you have no real pragmatic plan for. So I made that Burns album just trying to reconnect with Scotland and my friends here and, and also pay homage to music that I loved that I used to hear in folk clubs and I I didn't know who wrote all the songs, I didn't know where they came from, you know, Gaelic song, story song, love songs, songs of death, songs of happiness, songs of dancing, all of that energy that I remember from the 1978 folk clubs that I used to go to I wanted to kind of address that and that and I decided I would make an album of traditional music. And it was just at the tail end of me being in London and still using some record company money. So I had enough pull to ask the orchestra to get involved. And once the orchestra got involved and gave me a deal, <laughs> you know, I sort of shared it with everybody. And I shared, like, the, with traditional song, you get the publishing rights, but I kind of shared it with all the band so that we could all contribute 
and get something out of it mm-hmm. on like Spotify nowadays. But we all, I wanted everybody to share in it. So it became a kind of project of kind of trying to reconnect with my my friendships and my identity. And then Burns was standing at the brow of a bridge, probably the Tamashanta Bridge in air. And he was, in my head, he was just like, come away over the border, hen, come home, come home, it's fine. So I'd been away for so long, I didn't know what home was anymore. And I had a wee bit of an English accent in my Scottishness. And I didn't know how uh, laugh at things like only an excuse that came on because ah. I didn't even know the jokes anymore. And some of the language I was forgetting and I just felt, and people were dying too, you know, my dad passed away. So a part of the whole Robert Burns falling in love with him was trying to recapture my dad and the masculinity of Scotland and the way they laugh at each other and can punch each other in the nose and then go for a drink with each other. I just Mm -hmm. love that part of Scotland, the way you can diffuse an argument with a song, Mm -hmm. like a drunken song in the night, all that I was brought up with and I I saw suddenly saw real value in it, whereas Mm -hmm. when I was a wee girl, Saw no value in it. It's a story of life. It's a story of life, isn't it? It's weird. But also, I think that there wasn't that much I could have done when I was 18 here in Glasgow. Mm -hmm. I mean, there was a guy that had a tyre factory who wanted to make albums. I remember getting introduced to him, and that was my opportunity to make an album. (laughs) And And he liked my cowboy hat. That was, you know, it was kind of a funny time, the late 70s. There for me, brought up and Thatcher just came in and I was like, I'm getting out of here. And I didn't like London either. I didn't like, uh, I didn't like all the Union Jacks. I didn't like the tripping of the guards. I was in Tide Park after busking all day and I'd earned £10 because it was a rubbish day. It was wet, rainy. I think Lord Mountbatten had just died and some old guy was going to hit me with his stick and he had big medals on his shoulder and he was some old war dude and he was going, don't you know who's died today? Have you no respect? And I ended up putting on a fake Belfast accent and going, well, my brother was was murdered by the by the bombing campaign by the British army and all that. You know, I just, I couldn't get away from this guy enough. And then I couldn't get away from Britain enough. Mm. I just had to get out of the whole idea of it. I didn't know anything about the political scene in Scotland or... I knew who the enemies were. I knew who hated us and just wanted us to lose our societies and communities. And when you're a child that's brought up in the Glasgow community, if somebody tries to attack that, well, hell hath no fury. That's all I can say. This is true. Yes. And I went to France and I found affinity in France. Mm -hmm. I found busking on the street. Street singing in France was amazing Mm -hmm. for me. It, It taught me so much about community. I saw people wanting... To maintain community as a as a philosophy of life, mm-hmm. it was law. You know, there was a wee boy washing the windscreens of a car and his dad was on the other side of the street and all the cars stopped, got out, took the wee boy and delivered him to his father and said, this is dangerous. Do not do this with your son. Here's a, you know, here's a 20 spot. They paid his dad, but don't leave your kid three mm. miles away from you on the other side of, you know, your big... Champs-Élysées. And I I love that. I love the way that they celebrated Catholicism and Protestantism without any fear of any of it. Mm -hmm. 
Mm. I love it that you get you get that in the south of Ireland too. So traveling really did me a, a good service and playing music on the street helped finance that. Mm. And the dole money also helped me get my apprenticeship. That's why I, I believe in a welfare state and I believe that we need to support our children in that Excellent. way. Excellent. And you have answered this question before, way back on the 11th of March 2019, albeit very briefly, because it's just a wee final thought at the end of my, my radio show, Ignite the Radio Show. But today, sitting in January 2021, Eddie, tell me this. What do you know for sure? Well, I've got the optimistic creed in front of me, which I love. And I kept it especially for you because I want to say that this is what I know for sure, because this is my prayer. Right. Ready? To be so strong that nothing can disturb your peace of mind. To talk health, happiness and prosperity to every person you meet. To make all your friends feel that there is something in them. To look at the sunny side of everything and make your optimism come true regarding Oprah. Mm -hmm. To think only of the best, to work only for the best and to expect only the best. To be just as enthusiastic about the success of others as you are about your own. To forget the mistakes of the past and press on to greater achievements of the future. To wear a cheerful countenance at all times and give every living creature you meet a smile. To give so much time to the improvement of yourself that you have no time to criticise others. To be too large for worry, too noble for anger, too strong for fear and too happy to permit the presence of trouble. Oh, I have never heard this before, Eddie. Ah, great. You should get it. I should definitely get it. The optimistic creed. And so there was lots of things to know for sure in that, wasn't there? But yeah. if you were to pick one of them out that either you really, really know for sure or one that you're still working on, maybe, what would you yeah. pick? To spend so much time on the improvement of yourself that you have no time for the criticism of others ah we could all do with that couldn't we yeah 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 i i we are very good judges aren't we we're all but this is the world we live in everybody judges and i've discovered the duality in my head that you can't hold light and darkness in your thoughts at the same time you can't it's impossible mm -hmm. so one is dark and one is light mm -hmm. so if you're looking at somebody and seeing a dark thought then you're kind of lying to yourself because you're actually hurting yourself if there's only one of us here and we're all just experiencing the human race together, mm -hmm. then I think that to hold that clear in your head that you have to try and work on the alignment of your thought process, you know, just get your perceptions adjusted. Aye. You can control that. Yep, yeah. yep. And what was the one up towards the end, the one about fear? Yeah, it says here, to be too large for worry, too noble for anger, too strong for fear and too happy to permit the presence of trouble. Ah, I, I love that. I really do love that. Are you too strong for fear? Uh, sometimes. I, I work on it. I'm working on it all the time. You know, I, I fear for things for when you have kids. My God, there you go. That's that's something that hmm. can knock you off your, off your pedestal a bit when you're trying to pretend that you're not fearful. But I am fearful. Fearful is part and parcel of being human. I think it's part and parcel of being here. Mm -hmm. But that's the work we have to do to be here and not fear. Not fear anything. Not fear death. Not fear other people's path. Not fear the outcomes. Mm -hmm. To realise that you have no control over 
other people's path and your own path sometimes. It's just your instinct that you'll follow your nose and you have to trust it. You have to trust your instinct. I mean, there's many a time when I didn't trust my own instinct. Mm. I didn't trust my own art. I didn't trust my own songwriting ability. There was fear in revealing it because I didn't want, you know, I don't know, who, who knows what the problem is. It might be just being laughed at. I tell you, though, there was a time I was in London street singing and apart from that old guy with the, there was an old guy with the medals that would get, who came into the tube and got annoyed with me um, for singing on Lord McBatten's birthday. But there was another time when I was out in Tottenham Court Road and I just put my case down and I re- my voice is very strong then and it, it could get all the way down the street really high and really true but I missed a note in the middle of a song when a crowd had gathered it was maybe only about 20 people because you know London's London you get 500 in Glasgow but you get 20 in London and this guy just started laughing and laughing and laughing at me because I'd made a mistake or I had sung a wrong note. And I remember the other people looking at him like he was dirt. And I remember something happened in my head, which was my dad and all the shipyard workers in Glasgow going, I may be right in. That's okay. Move uh, on. Move on. You know mm-hmm. and, and, and the slagging that you get in Glasgow kind of made me better if you know what I mean and I remember being so sensitive you know about my big chin used to get called chisel chin at school and I was so oh it was my big chin and or my hair got cut short and I'd say to my mother I look like a boy and she'd say I mean you're a very good looking boy <laughs> and my dad I remember dog in school and uh, because I had spots and all my art class was full of boys and I was black affronted about getting and um, by the way, which means something to do with tar on a shield, nothing to do with skin colour. But I was absolutely black affronted and I dogged school. And I went to my, I pretended to faint at my granny's house and I said, oh, I can't, can't go on. Anyway, my, my dad found out about this big ruse of me bullshitting. And then as I walked in to the door and he was sitting in his chair, he went, oh, come here, spotty. <laughs> Oh no! Uh, just <laughs> you keep you in your place. Remind you who you are. <laughs> always, always a glass. It's never stopped. Uh huh. Uh huh. And see, I love the part of that optimistic creed that was to think well of yourself and proclaim that fact to the world. Do you think well of yourself, Eddie? I do. I like who I am. I never mm. used to. I used to think I owned it, but I realise I don't own this being that I am my spirit is my spirit and it's connected to the spirit of the universe this body that I'm in is just something I'm borrowing while I'm here so mm-hmm. I I'm, I've become I've I've learned to appreciate well first of all I appreciated the vocal ability of it but then I, I wasn't so keen on the way it thought and the reason I wasn't keen on the way it thought was because it, it it felt very defensive and and frightened and alone but now I realise that what I'm playing with is something that doesn't really belong to me and will pass away. So maybe it's to do with age, but I've become much more friendly towards myself. Yeah. And I, I see myself as a companion rather than 
my creation, if you mm. know what I mean. Although I'm co-creating with my head, the things that it's turning into, I mean, it's turning into Wolverine, for God's sake. It's like there's there's hair coming at my face and, and my nails are near the same as they were. My hair is a bit frizzy. It, it's, it changes without my say-so at all. So what I did was I just decided that if I was if I was unhappy, it was all my own perceptions mm. rather than what's really happening. I'm just a being like a like a tree out there or a, or a wee squirrel walking about looking for nuts. That's me. I tell you another thing that stopped my nerves, which I, I I always like telling this story. And you might I don't know if I told you before, but I was nervous, very nervous. Even after Fairground Attraction had a number one and a triple platinum album in many different countries, I was really insecure about my own abilities. I thought I had some sort of trick that I could, I mean, I loved singing, but I didn't know why other people loved it. Mm. After the band split up, we were doing Cork Festival, me and Boo Hurdin, and he was standing next to me and I had, I was so nervous I was so frightened, especially after success, because you think people have big expectations then. Mm-hmm. And um, somebody shouted from the crowd, Where's your record? And I thought <laughs> he said, or some dude said, drunk dude said, show us your, see you next Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Right, you get me? Aye. So I, on the microphone, I started going, yeah, misogynist, yeah. <laughs> And I started shouting, and the whole audience who were drunk were like, "Ooh!" What the, what? And Boo leaned into me, and he said, "I think he said, welcome to Cork.'" <laughs> <laughs> and from that moment, I was determined I would not do that self to myself. You know, I wouldn't oh. do that to myself anymore. It it was mm-hmm. a it was a fear that I was inventing in my own head. Why not choose another thing? Oh. Why not choose that they all adore me? Uh-huh. Why not? Look at everybody and go, they all love me. You yeah, know? and you know, I've done spent so much time this year and that whole, or last year, that whole notion that we live in a thought-created universe. Everything that happens, it's about my thinking is about it. You know, it's just my thinking that's actually dictating my experience of the world. It's not the world that dictates my experience of it. So I really do resonate with that. And obviously we are recording this the day after 100,000 people, more than 100,000 people have died of coronavirus. Do you think you feel optimistic about the state that we're in just now and when we're getting out of that? Or have you got thoughts that you would share on that? Well, I'm practising The Course in Miracles. Yeah. And, and and The Course in Miracles says there is no death. There is physical deterioration, but I think our energies are not just body. And I think that if I go, I go. And... Uh, it's sad and I'll miss people's physicality. But then sometimes when I'm sitting in this little room myself, my front room where I do all my writing and painting, and I think I've got my dad right beside me and he died in 1991. Mm-hmm. Oh, and today I found and put on Facebook a, a picture of my granny, his mother, at 14 in a field in Glasgow we have pals and our pals have got a ukulele and a banjo and they're all wearing berries and they're all grinning from ear to ear and they're sitting on the grass and they've got their 1920s stockings on and they're they're all 14 and that's 1921, so that's 100 years ago. 
there she is, alive and real. And mm. I just think every, nobody dies. I think we all just continue. And as much as I, I, it sounds a bit cliched, I do think that it's love. It, it's about who loves you and who you loved mm-hmm. and to be able to love others. And I think that that woman created my da, who created me. I think I last saw her when I was eight. That's when she passed away, 67. So I've often felt she's right beside me, but I don't really know her as a human form, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I know her better now. Uh-huh. It's almost like I know her. And my dad, he's not sick with cancer. He's standing right beside me, I singing agree. Elvis and dancing. I agree know? with you so much because and it's something Oprah and my Angelo used to say, I come as one, I stand as 10,000. And it's about all the folk that came before you, right at your back. And I have to say, you know, I think I've told you before, my mum died a long 30 odd years ago when I was 14. And I feel all the women behind me all the time. Yeah. I always feel them around me. I feel they, they're pushing me forward. And when, <laughs> and when I come up with, because I was telling Eddie before this, my plan is to get Oprah on this podcast, people. I'm just putting out there in case anybody knows her. But when I do things as daring as that, I think they made it possible for me to have this life. They made it possible for me to go to uni and to travel and to do all the things I do with my life. And why would I not be bold enough? You know well, I you mean? come here with desire, don't you? Mm-hmm. You come here with a desire and your desire maps out your life. So everything you, you're experiencing now, I believe, and, and me too, is because of a desire I had when I was probably three Mm. not not something that I've constructed with contracts and analysis Mm. it's just instinct isn't it and it's how I've grown and there'll be parts of me that you have to get rid of because they get in the way of Mm -hmm. experiencing the whole thing beautifully and when I go I'm pretty much convinced that the energy doesn't go and I'm pretty much convinced that I'll be in every bit of DNA of my family's descendants and who knows where we all began, you know. Exactly, and where we're all going indeed. Thank you so much for joining me, Eddie. I appreciate it so much. You're welcome. Thank you. Hello and thank you for joining me on this episode of What Do You Know For Sure podcast. If you would like to connect with me, you can do that across social media by searching and Hughes Ignite. If I refer to my radio show and the podcast, you can catch those on my Mixcloud. Again, just searching Anne Hughes Ignite. And if you or anybody you know want to answer this question with me, please do get in touch. Just go onto my website, annehughesignite.co.uk and fill in the contact page at the bottom and I'll be delighted to have this conversation with you too. Thank you.